Municipal Gathering. We appreciate your attendance, and we know you have lots of options. And uh, we're really thrilled that you're here to uh, learn about this course, and we're hopeful that at the end of the two hours you're just as thrilled that you came and sat through this intensive, and I'm pretty sure you will be. Uh, I'd like to start with some prayer, and, uh, and then we'll get into the, into the context of this course. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for uh, this opportunity to, um, to hear about what you've been doing um, with the uh, development of this course. And uh, we know that it, um, there, there are a lot of options for getting an education and be, being prepared to go into missions and healthcare missions. And we just pray that this would help complement all of those options that are already there. Um, you have worked through all of us. Uh, over these years to get to this point, and we thank you for that. We thank you for the organizers of GMHC and that we're able to meet in person again. Um, we do pray, Lord, that somehow you would intervene and just deal with this virus and um, help us to overcome this, this huge challenge that has been uh, just this global pandemic. And uh, so we thank you and uh, put this time into your hands. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. <clears throat> So, my, yeah, my name, <laughs> I'm the first on the list there. Mike Soderling is my name. I'm a physician by training. I spent 10 years in private practice as an OBGYN in Wisconsin and then moved to Central America for 11 years. And um, while I was there, I <clears throat> came back to the, to the States for a workshop. <clears throat> and some of you may know the name Dan Fountain. But I took his intensive workshop for five days in Bristol, Tennessee, and it totally changed my life. Uh, and it really put me on a completely different path than what I had been on. So I had spent time, you know, I've got pictures of a 46-pound tumor that I took out of a young lady in Guatemala, and I delivered some twins in the middle of the night, and all those things that are associated with cool, you know, medical mission stuff. But I began realizing that it wasn't really having a long-term impact. <clears throat> and so Dan's workshop really helped me to see um, a better way of doing missions. And it involved community health. It involved uh, acknowledging that culture was a huge factor in whether you're going to make any progress or not. And he would always say, if your culture is a low-trust culture that has a fatalistic worldview and you don't do anything to address either of those issues, you can spend all the money in the world and you will really not make much progress. <clears throat> so his workshop, <clears throat> I, I began teaching it after his death in 2013, but it was somewhat limited to the, in the sense that it was Africa-focused <clears throat> and it was his experiences at Vanga. So we started strategizing about how we could expand it <clears throat> and add to it. And that really is, I guess, the genesis. I hadn't really thought about it before, but that's really the genesis for this course. Um, more directly, in 2018, we had a consultation. It wasn't at Wheaton College, but it was in the church across the street. And about 25 of us came together to talk about um, what we could do to kind of fill in the gaps of the church's understanding of health and healing and what that looks like. Um, in the world and in missions. <clears throat> so if you were at that consultation, raise your hand, please. <clears throat> so we had people from all over. Um, Dr. 
Grunman came from Germany, and if you haven't read his book, Sent to Heal, I would highly recommend it. It is the authoritative book on the history of healthcare missions. Um, we had uh, Willard Swartley. I don't know if anybody knows that name. A bit of, a, a bit of an obscure theologian, but he uh, was a contributor as well. Great book that he wrote, he wrote, I forget the name of it, on the mission of the church and health or something. He, his book is really good too. So we came together and to talk about what we could do to, like I said, fill in the gaps that existed in the church's understanding of health. And then as you build that understanding from a biblical foundation, what does it mean in the application um, so how many have taken perspectives? Uh, I would have thought maybe more would have taken it. If you haven't, if you have a, the opportunity, I would highly recommend it. I think they have a booth here too, and you can get connected there. It's a 15-week course, and a lot of people that finish it say it ruined their lives because <laughs> it just completely changes your perspective on, on mission and the mission of the church. Um, so I highly recommend it. But... If you've taken it, you may have realized that it has... So it's, it's the perspectives on the Christian global movement. I kind of get it confused on the sequence of those words. But in any, in any case, we, I, I met with their leadership and I said, you know, you're missing something here. <clears throat> uh, you have nothing about medical missions, healthcare missions, and the important role that that's played over the years, or the centuries, really, in helping get the church established where it has never existed before. It has often been the only way. So if you look at the history of Korea, there's a very interesting, if you want to hear an interesting story about Myanmar, Myanmar, Burma, whatever. On the second floor, there's a booth up there um, that has been researching a, a guy by the name of Dr. East. <clears throat> never heard of him before, but he was a pioneer with the Chin people in Myanmar, and was a transformation of that people group. So there's all sorts of little bits and pieces that we still don't know about, I suppose. And so when we talked to the perspectives leadership, they were, yeah, we know that's not there, but people already complain that it's 15 weeks and it's too long and there's too much reading. So we're really, we can't really add anything else. So we, add, we said, well, would you support a perspective on the Christian global movement, global health movement. They're like, yeah, but you can't use it that You can't say perspectives because that's sort of co-opting our course. So we came up with the name Christian Global Health in Perspective. So we have been working with the perspectives people. They have given us feedback, and we have the same structure, and we'll get into that um, as we go on here today. So the... Wheaton consultation started the ball rolling in 2018, in June. And uh, you know how, <laughs> I don't know if you've ever been involved in a project where it's, you know, everybody's doing it voluntarily and you're trying to do it democratically with, with very dispersed leadership. It can take a while, you know, that kind of thing. It can take a while. And, and yet the goal was valuable enough that the people that were involved stuck with it. And I personally had very little to do with the development of the course. The people that you'll hear from put the guts of it together and the content. 
We're right now doing a cohort, our first full cohort with an ICMBA group. And it is really very cool. We use Slack as our platform right now with uh, Zoom meetings. But we have people, participants from Ethiopia, uh, Uganda, DR Congo, Singapore, Philippines, Indonesia, Hong Kong? Congo. Congo, right. And then one uh, Korean-American physician who works... It, I, I probably shouldn't even mention the name of the country because it's that restricted. And they've been going there for years to teach medical procedures to these to students there. But yeah, that's about as much as I can say. So <clears throat> um, what else am I supposed to say here? So the purpose of the course really is similar to the perspectives course. It is to educate and mobilize people towards a career. Oh. So towards a career in, in global health missions. So people will say, well, who is it primarily designed for? Well, it's designed for the church. <clears throat> so primarily, we would say it's for students or it's for you know physicians, nurses, those who have already been involved and want to learn a little bit more uh, on a deeper level about what health is, the history, uh, cultural components, and then the fourth section of the strategies. So it's really um, an educational course, but it's really a, a you know we want to mobilize people because we you know we we firmly believe that that we can't leave this kind of ministry out when we're talking about the fact that there's still six to seven thousand unreached people groups, billions of people who do not have any witness, right? So, <laughs> so this is kind of important to us. <laughs> so, <clears throat> it, it so that's the kind of the encapsulation. Is it's for everybody? We want pastors to take it because we think the church and church leadership really needs to understand what health is from a biblical perspective. Because we really don't have that understanding right now. You know, if you talk to somebody about health in the U.S., it's about you know, I need a hip replacement or, you know, my diabetes is out of control and I've got hypertension and all that. It's mostly a physical understanding. We're getting a little bit better in the church, I think, on the mental health piece. We're, we're you know, talking about that more and addressing that issue more. But putting it all together in understanding the church's role in caring for the whole person is how we would phrase it. Mind, body, and spirit is something I think we're, we're, we're sorely in need of understanding deeper. So did I cover all this stuff? Yeah, so Dan Fountain used to say you cannot define health. It's just to, to try to define it is to become secular about it. <clears throat> so on our website at Health for All Nations, we have 10 points on an understanding of what health is. And it's, it's deeply embedded in that is a relationship with Christ. I mean, you can have the best beach body and drink, you know, green kale drinks and whatever the latest kombucha fashion is, <clears throat> right? But if, you're, if your spirit is still troubled about, you know, your existence and your connection with the Creator, your health is not complete. So I've probably gone over my time. But anyway, that's really the, the basis and the genesis for this course. 
And um, shalom is a word that we use a lot. Um, Willard Swartley in his book almost came to the point of saying that they were the same thing. But then he sort of backed off a little bit. Is shalom really health? Yeah, I suppose it is. Because it includes our relationships and it includes everything about our existence. Right? So shalom is a good way to think. In, in the Greek, it's irene is the word. So um, I think that's about all I was going to say. We have a testimony now from one of our cohorts. I think this is, is she the one from Philippines? Okay. So this is one of the cohorts that I, that I just mentioned is in our class right now. Shalom and good day to all my brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm Marisa Resulta, a pediatrician and a child protection specialist here in the Philippines. It has been with great honor and privilege to be one of the pioneer students of Global Health Course. This course has helped me gain more understanding about the history of medical missions, holistic approach in treating our patients, just to name a few. Since the group is composed mostly of physicians from different parts of the world, we learn the best practices coming from different cultures and backgrounds. As I was listening to the life testimony of our facilitators, their sacrifice of going out of their comfort zones just to learn the language and culture of another groups of people, this has brought me the burden to pray for them and their protection. I do encourage and invite everyone to join this course. We are almost at the end of this cohort, but it was also during this time when my siblings faced a great challenge and my global health family has been with me interceding for my brother's health in prayers. One important thing that I encourage those who want to join is to give time to read and study the materials for you to gain more insights and knowledge. Thank you and God bless you all. Yeah, so her... Her brother, Rupert, was uh, hospitalized on a respirator near the end of life with COVID, and uh, he has now recovered and left the hospital. And... All right. Um, sure. These are the learning objectives. Um, <clears throat> identifying this biblical understanding of, of creation, the fall, redemption, and, and the consummation as it relates to whole person health-related service. It has a review of the history of healthcare missions, um, you know, even talking about some shortcomings. Uh, key principles about culture. So, what is it that you know is unique when you get into doing health? When you get into healthcare in different cultures, there are a lot of things that you have to be aware of. Like, I could not go to a Muslim context and and do OBGYN work, right? That just would not be possible. <clears throat> Um, and then with the strategy section, it's discussing models of health service, health systems, um, public health principles, and, and new strategies for dealing with the global health challenge that we face. So Dan is going to be the first <coughs> section. Should I advance this? There we go. Thanks, Mike. How are you all? You mind if I take my mask off? All right. Keep it on. Yeah. Now I know who my friends are. Um, anyway, 
I'm Daniel O'Neill. Um, I work with, uh, I've been working with Mike for a number of years now, and um, I designed and uh, I'm going to present a bit of the objective one, which is the biblical foundations. Now, I went to seminary after I became a family physician. I teach family medicine at University of Connecticut as an assistant professor there. Um, I've ser served uh, overseas in South America, Central America, Middle East, uh, Indonesia, West Africa. So, um, uh, so gleaning from that, but also in the study of graduating from Bethel Seminary with a master's degree, um, I was sensitized, if you will, to the, the interface between health and mission and and development, especially. So, um, so when we try to identify, uh, well, we we're sort of evidence-driven folks, I think. Uh, uh, you know, in medicine, you know, we look at evidence. So. Um, I think the burden for me has been to look at the biblical evidence for what, what it means to be healthy, what it means to suffer, and what it means to what's the interface between sin and our, our diseases. And uh, so it's been an, uh, an amazing journey. And, you know, I see some of you have been some mentors and some students. So uh, I appreciate you all. So um, what I'm going to do is a 50,000-foot view of uh, the biblical uh, narrative uh, and the interface between mission and health. So... Uh, this only scratches the very surface of uh, the first three lessons in this course, uh, which de de delve into much more detail, uh, if you will, about health-related service. So the first lesson that we uh, discuss is health creation and wholeness. And so we know from the biblical narrative about the creation that the creation was good. God called it good. He called it very good. Uh, and Eden was uh, a wonderful place. Uh, that we can look to in a, in a primordial history about how how things were and how things perhaps should be, and so it's a it's a juxtaposition or contrast between what we experience today and what uh, what was and what is lost. Um, but during that creation narrative, God created order out of chaos. From tohu wabohu, I did. Uh, uh, I did publish this book this year called All Creation Groans. There's a chapter in here uh, by my, my co-editor, Beth Snodderly, All Creation Groans by Whip and Stock, about uh, the, the Hebrew phrase tohu wabohu. So out of the formless and void, God created the earth. And there's been this, uh, this uh, back and forth between the tohu wabohu and the order or the healing that can occur by God's hand and through his power and through his spirit. But we see that God is sustainer. The tree of life in, the, in Eden was completely sufficient. You know, we talk a lot in, uh, I work with the World Bank Group uh, in the Global Health Initiative, and um, the sustainable development goals are just for that purpose, to, to have sustainable health and development. But God himself provided that sustenance for us in the tree of life, and actually all the other trees in the, in the narrative except the one tree, and we'll get to that in lesson two. <laughs> but there's a picture of peace here. Um, Mike mentioned shalom. Uh, shalom is this, uh, well, Christopher Grumman would say it's not harmony, but it's, it's good relationships between us and the creator, between ourselves, between the genders, between the races, because Adam and Eve were progenitors of all humankind. So there was, there was uh, good relations there, even intergenerationally. There was a picture of peace, shalom, of course, between God and man, also between man and the, the earth. He said, tend the earth. And this is that call to what we call the great creation mandate. Steward the earth, take care of it, be, uh, don't exploit it, don't run it down, but 
be part of it. And that's the stewards of us in, created in God's image to be uh, the crowning glory of the creation, uh, but not the only part of creation. And that fast forward to Revelation 22, there's a restoration uh, of Shalom. There's a restoration of the access to the tree of life. And in between is the biblical narrative. And so that's what uh, we cover in this course. Lesson two is about the fall, disease, and suffering. And uh, as as health providers, as as perhaps clinicians or people that work in health and development, um, we are what Albert Schweitzer called in the fellowship of those who bear the mark of pain. So the pain that we deal with, the suffering, the diseases, um, uh, have to have some explanation. So in Eden's rebellion, this led to deprivations. Uh, we no longer had access to the tree of life. It's guarded, it's protected. We cannot access the tree of life. So it's this longing for what was lost and this longing for the what is to be restored in the biblical narrative. And we, what we saw in the, the Eden account after the fall is the disordering of relationships. The dominance uh, of gender over gender, the dominance and the disruption, the violence between the two brothers, Cain and Abel. So it only took one generation to lose lose that shalom, and we've been suffering ever since. It got to the point at the flood narrative where our thoughts, if you are collectively the humankind family, were only evil all the time. But of course God made a way. Amen? Then the, mater- uh, the material curse, the corruptions were on the earth. So we have to deal with the corruptions that were visited upon the earth as a result of uh, this violation of shalom. Uh, volitional rejection of God's ways and his means. And that we live in this enemy-occupied territory. You know, the serpent, uh, uh, if we allegorize that too much, uh, the, the enemy, uh, the adversary, then we lose the full biblical narrative of what it means to be human, what it means to struggle, and what our patients are suffering from and with. So we live in enemy-occupied territory. But God reached down by, the, by his right hand. We were insufficient to be able to save ourselves, to heal ourselves. So he reached down and made a way through the covenants. The covenants were ways that God would offer himself to us in exchange for us uh, relating to him in a way that was lost, if you will. And so there's this uh, covenant with Noah. Uh, later on, the, the Tower of Babel was created. Then, uh, Well, actually, the Tower of Babel was prior to Noah, but then after Noah. But then the, the scattering of the nations, and so that's what we deal with with the unreached people groups, that God has scattered the nations. He's created many tongues and tribes and peoples, many of which have not received the light of the knowledge of the, the Supreme Son of God. And yet God uh, calls us to engage. Um, the covenant of Abraham in, Gen- in Genesis chapter 12, you know, he has called Abraham out of Ur to be a blessing, out of Ur near Babylon. And the law, when he called Israel to, to walk according to his ways, he gave them the law. And the law was actually, in one of the chapters in the book by Stephen Coe, uh, it talks about a public health perspective and how public health, actually uh, modern-day public health is very much informed by these biblical laws about quarantine, about 
sexual mores and about respect for elders, etc. Um, so God gave the covenant not for not to be a burden, but to be a blessing to us, right? And then the law uh, protected the Israelites uh, when they obeyed. And then God was seen in, 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 in uh, uh, Deuteronomy as, as Yahweh Rapha. I am the God who heals you. In other words, uh, he, is, he, he emerges then as the healer. And throughout, throughout seminary, God was never really spoken of as a healer. He was a redeemer. He was, he was a blessing. He was somebody who would save you, but yet is he the God who heals. So the God who heals is a theological narrative that we're trying to uh, emphasize, among many other attributes of God. But that's Yahweh Rapha. So on the right-hand column, we see that there's this, what this means for us in the, the biblical narrative on the left is that there's many etiologies of disease. And if, we, if we're singular and reduce etiologies of disease to, to a demon or to a material cause only, or to a social cause, or if we blame others and their sin on the, this disease, uh, if we singularly cause, uh, attribute disease, then we lose uh, sometimes the, the, the complex nature of what it means to have disease and have to suffer, right? Um, and I think the, the Bible is very much nuanced when it comes to being careful not to ascribe. In, fa- in fact, many of the things that God opposes is, is those people like Job's friends who, who attribute it to his own sins, etc. But it also means that this, this biblical narrative on the left makes us understand what suffering is and why we suffer, perhaps. But it, not only that, but it looks out because of the covenants, because of God reaching down and him giving us an opportunity to overcome and to be released, uh, it gives us a way and so it gives us hope. The third lesson is about salvation, healing, and mission. And I kind of liken it like first year of medical school, pathophysiology, beautiful anatomy, second year, pathology, amen, (laughs) really pharmacology, and then salvation, healing, and mission. Um, And I've been practicing for many decades, but uh, I still haven't reached uh, a full uh, grasping in my patient panel about this, but... But the salvation, healing, and mission is really part and parcel of the, of the biblical narrative, and that is good news, amen, good news, that God creates a Bethel. Bethel means house of God, and there's this old cynical book that used to be written, that was written uh, years ago uh, from a, uh, I had once medical school in New York, in Long Island, so it was a New York City hospital, and they called it the house of God. But it's a very cynical view of uh, biomedicine, uh, without the spiritual component. So, but God creates these Bethels. These uh, Bethel was in Israel, is in the Promised Land, was uh, the place where Abraham sacrificed to the living God. It was a place that was a meeting places of uh, the North and South Kingdoms. It was a place where Jacob had the ladder to heaven, and uh, so it was an important place. And so, as we plant churches, as we become living communities of faith and and covenant keeping, that God creates a little house of God within those little those little uh, focuses. And then Jeremiah, uh, Jeremiah says, you know, heal me and I will be healed, save me and I will be saved. Uh, these two words, Yasha and, Yafa, and Rapha, are, uh, there's, a, there's an assonance between those two words. And in the biblical narrative in the Old Testament, if you have, there's some parallelism uh, to these two things. And we see that the, the, the Greek word, uh, sozo, soteria, is, 
has a has a very uh, very much a double meaning. It's both saved and healed. Um, and the, in life, if you so if you if you put the lens on in the, as you read your Bibles, when you see life, when you see death, think of uh, health and think of disease because it's a continuum. And that Jesus' manifesto, when the kingdom of God comes to these little Bethels that we plant throughout the world, uh, what, what was the evidence of that? The lame see, the blind, the, the, well, the lame walk, I guess, right? <laughs> the blind see. Well, maybe the lame can walk, too, and the blind can walk. But the, uh, dead men are raised from the dead, uh, and, and the good news is preached to the poor. So, and... And Jesus said, this is fulfilled in your hearing. So the kingdom is both here and not yet. And so we go into that in detail. And that we see, and we, we want to say that the, the first act in the book of Acts was loving kindness, was reaching out to people in compassion, was uh, healing. And, and then proclamation came shortly thereafter. Provoking questions to which the gospel is the answer. So what does that mean for us? Now, it means healing as a reflection of, of the realities. Healing, when we see healing, we can attribute it to God, the living God, the one who seeks healing, who seeks uh, to this shalom, and that we can see that, uh, that healing, salvation is, is integral. So it, it's part of the, the mind, body, soul. It's in community. It's uh, both uh, locally and globally. And so there's this integral part that we, we emphasize. And so we, we, we summarize with the four great C's. You know, we, we talk about the Great Commission and the Great Commandment, but we, we think there's four. So the first is the, the great uh, the culture mandate in Genesis to sub, subdue the earth. And subdue doesn't mean destroy and run down, but it means to, to work with uh, the nature and, and, and to, to be creative stewards of the data like we just heard about in the session. Uh, and to be wise stewards of that. And the, and the second one is the great uh, commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Not part of it. And to love your neighbor as yourself, which is just like it, he said. And that fulfills the, the full law. Remember the Torah was meant to, to bless? If we, fulfill, we can fulfill the law, or we can seek to fulfill the law by, by the great commandment. And then the great commission, Matthew 28, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptized to teach and uh, we'll get into, uh, Christopher will talk a little bit about the, the way Jesus did that. So that, in a nutshell, is our uh, first three lessons. So I want to open it up for any questions, and I have a few questions if, if there are no questions. But uh, comments, questions, um, yes, sir? What was the fourth C? Fourth C was, did I, did I not say it? Oh. Oh, uh, the, oh, the Great Convergence. I'm sorry. The Great Convergence is where we take this platonic dualism, we throw it out the window. That we are mind, body, soul, and spirit, integrated, related. Uh, that uh, the integration between proclamation and demonstration, the love that's demonstrated through compassionate service, and the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ through word. So both word and deed. So that's what we call the Great Convergence. You heard it first here. Anybody ever heard of the Great Convergence before? Yeah. We, we started. You heard it here first. <laughs> yeah, yeah, actually, we, we invented it in uh, Leighton Wheaton. So. Um, any, any questions? Yes, uh, Anil. Hang on, Anil. 
in uh, chapter 1, uh, though you uh, focused on suffering, it may be good to build up the, on the theology of work and theology of stewardship, the concept of stewardship, mm. because it has a larger bearing later on when you come in. So I just wanted to know whether that there was an emphasis on these. Mm. Yeah, that's that's a good point, Anil. Um, it, it is mentioned in the course. It's mentioned in our book. Actually, it's strong emphasis on work. I mean, work work was a pre-fall uh, state of being. God said, "Work the land, work the land, uh, work the garden." So, yeah, work in and of itself uh, is is an intrinsic good, whether you get paid for it or not. Uh, well, it's preferable to get paid for it, but um, but then, uh, yeah, so. So that's, that's sort of part of the calling that we have is uh, not just care for creation, but to, to discern, to use science, to look at the world uh, that's discernible and to, uh, to engage in it and to, and to work tirelessly through the Holy Spirit, through the power of God to, to make things better. salvation and healing, and you addressed it in, when you used the word so-so. Uh, how have you dealt with that? Uh, they have, there was a divide among Christians, so have you been able to address that? Yeah, there was a bit divide. I mean, there was a big debate at the Lausanne uh, Convention in 1974 uh, uh, between Billy Graham and, uh, and John Stott. Um, and they had this sidebar conference, a very heated debate apparently, and they came out saying that they are one and the same. And Lausanne is very strong in that. Um, so, I mean, it's not that's nothing new, but at the same time, it's something that we have to always remind ourselves of. Yes, good point. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to ask, never mind. Repeat the question. I kind of couldn't hear. Oh, the question? Yeah, the question was, uh, there was a great divide, I think, between... Uh, well, what we call social justice and and, uh, and evangelism, or but it was basically because in America, especially, the, there was a divide between uh, kind of mainstream denomina- denominations and the fundamentalist movement. So the fundamentalists sort of were moved away from what they called the social gospel, which is the help side of things and and more of the public things. Uh, and then uh, they were accused of sort of forgetting the heart of the gospel, which is the proclamation of the lordship and the supremacy of Christ. So. There was a divide there, but there's definitely been a, a that's part of the convergence that I talked about, the fourth C. Yes. Just wondering, uh, does the class follow the same um, kind of format that the perspectives class is in terms of, you know, uh, subject matter experts, um, reading, a lot of reading, and then assignments? Uh, yes, we have, uh, we have selected assignments that uh, are for each week. So, like our international cohort right now is through International Christian Medical and Dental Association (ICMDA). So they have about maybe three hours of reading, uh, and then there's some videos and uh, and there's a chat chat rooms that they talk a bit before the year the weekly uh, meetings, which are on Zoom right now if they're if it's virtual. Um, and the we have experts that uh, share a 25-minute presentation, and then there's a, a interactive discussion afterwards. That's our learning environment. Yeah, so we, we've started from an online format, and if there's demand later for in-person like they do with perspectives, then we would, we, we're beginning to talk to some people about doing that. But yeah, the, from the start, it's, it's online and interactive that way. We use, well, we use Slack right now and, and Zoom and Google Docs and all that sort of thing, but we're going to put it into a more formal 
hell of a mess we're going to end up with. But so it's not. So I would say we're not, um, you know, flying somebody in for a three-hour presentation like perspective studs. Um, that's not. That's not the way we're doing it right now. I'm interested to know. Here we go. Thank you. Yeah, I'm interested to know the reason for the fourth C, the Great Convergence. What is the thinking that led to that being added to this sort of traditional narrative of salvation Well, uh, that could be probably exemplified in um, the two years ago. I think there was a uh, the the mission organization that we work with, the uh, Mission Nexus, is a Great Commission centered. Uh, uh, all the different major evangelical mission society meetings happened at the same time that um, what was it? there was a uh, Samaritan's Purse meeting and in the same city in Orlando, prescription for renewal, and they didn't even know each other were happening. So there's, there, so there, there, we, we want to emphasize that not because it's, it's not something that people know about, but it just that to emphasize the, the importance of, Understanding that um, that that uh, proclamation demonstration are intimately uh, tied together, and uh, the convergence also is uh, this mind-body dualism. We want to avoid the concept that uh, that the Christian gospel is about saving souls for eternity uh, in a disembodied sort of state of being, but that God is creating all things new, that He's reconciling all things to Himself through His through His Son Jesus Christ including the non-human uh, material creation. So that, that's kind of a, a convergence as well. So that's kind of the emphasis. Super. Any other questions? Uh, oh, yes. <laughs> this will be the last question. I was just curious if you guys were bringing any like novel approaches or new perspectives to like the culture balance and the culture mandate. Um, You'll hear about that in two sessions. Okay. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Rebecca will study that. We'll, we'll uh, present the. So that maybe you can answer that question. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I'll, I'll present. Uh, um, Bruce Dahlman, who's, uh, who works with CAP uh, uh, and uh, has worked in Kenya for many years as an educator, a family doctor like myself. And uh, there you go. And he's going to introduce uh, Christopher. Thanks. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. <laughs> I wanted to introduce uh, myself the way the Kenyans introduce themselves. My names are Bruce Dominant, and I love the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. That's how they introduce themselves. It's great, isn't it? Try that sometime. It starts conversations. <laughs> so I get the, uh, the uh, enviable position of being able to uh, have one of the shortest uh, talks I've ever given um, to introduce uh, Dr. Christopher Gunman. My name's on the program because we weren't sure if Dr. Gunman would be able to come with us uh, to be here, but he is from Germany. He's uh, come all the way. And the reason uh, we wanted him to come and present this uh, part on the history of healing in Christian mission is because he's the uh, un undisputed world expert. You're getting from the top. 
And if you haven't had a chance to uh, read his book, Sent to Heal, with an exclamation point at the end, which he'll explain why it's so important, is because it's so authoritative, uh, history of the history of missions from uh, the beginning of the Protestant uh, group through the 19th century. We've implored him to continue on to write into the 20th century, but when you read the thoroughness of this book, you'll understand why he's hesitating to go at that level. He can't do it any other way than thorough. So if you haven't, the reason to learn history is because there are so many lessons to learn. And if we don't listen to what these lessons are, we repeat the mistakes. And every one of us as healthcare missionaries will nod in full agreement with that statement. I don't have to ask for a show of hands. It is a fact and it is universal. And therefore, history, as much as you might have deplored history in your college and high school classes, is very important. And so I get to introduce uh, Professor Grunman and uh, ask him to give us the presentation around history. Yeah, thank you. Uh, thank you very much for this introduction. And uh, the exclamation mark is not because this is an important book, because it is an important call for the Christian con uh, congregation. And the phrase is taken from one of the first documents where medical missions is mentioned, and this, as we come to see, is in the first part of the 19th century. So, again, the exclamation mark matters. Very often it's overlooked, but it is not a statement. <laughs> my name is Christopher Grundmann. My accent gives me away. I'm a German. But I have not lived in Germany all the way, but uh, I have been missionary in India for several years before then being called to a missionary hospital in Germany. The German Institute for Medical Missions has a small hospital where it mainly cares for people who are not any longer to be healed according to medical standards and the codes of it. So it uh, uh, twists a little bit in the direction of being a kind of hospice. They now have built a separate hospice next to it, but people at the end of a very extended therapy go there, and it was a Christian who said, well, we are called to enable to foster life here, because Christ came, John 10.10, 10, that they have life and have it abundantly. And dying is an aspect of life. So, why do study med why do study the history of uh, medicine at all? Is it for curiosity's sake? Is it for uh, uh, academic interest? Certainly not, because when I came after my stay in India to Tübingen in Germany. I found marvelous people there, like people like you or some of you who have worked in Kenya or in Latin America uh, at some place or in Asia for several years, good willing, with very good intention, have done a lot of work, but were not aware finally what they were doing because they were so exhausted. It goes from early morning up to night and you fall asleep, you are exhausted and Historically, when you read the, dec uh, the documents, you easily uh, noticed, and it is said in a report of 19, 
32, the so-called layman's inquiry into medical, uh, into missions. I do not know if you have heard of this book. Uh, this was an evaluation of the missionary uh, movement at that time in the 1930s. I think the Rockefeller Foundation sponsored it, the layman's inquiry into Christian missions. And there is in volume two quite a report about medical missions that it said the turnover of personnel is none higher than in medical missions. And so why? Because the people are exhausted, they get a burnout very easily. There is a never-ending line of demand and you have only this much strength. And the only comfort you have actually when you are engaged in these uh, professions is that you can rest, you are not on your own. You are not just with Christ, but you are also with the congregation as you are here. And so the congregational support for this work is extremely important for the sustainability and for the well-being of this effort. Now, why do we study, and I have to say, Christian medical missions? Because medical mission is by no means just a Christian enterprise. It's a highly political and a highly economic enterprise. I just refer to Cuba. If you go on the Internet and put Cuba and medical missions in, you see it is a highly contested issue between especially the United States and Cuba. But you can also uh, lock in medical missions in China. Because, as you see, there is a certain strategical advantage to study this uh, because people fall ill all across the globe. And they have so uh, all over the time. And then they need help. And you know, healthcare is fairly expensive. And if it is offered freely, oh well, you, you go there and it helps you, of course, in your life. The essential issue is life here again, catering to life. And life had a lot to do with salvation and what the gospel is about. Now, when you go uh, that way uh, and uh, deep, uh, dig deep into hi uh, the history of so-called medical, medical, Christian medical mission, it is also helpful to distinguish between, on the one hand side, the healing arts, which predate Christianity by several uh, millennia, namely from the beginning of humankind, and the healing mandate. And actually, in medical missions, you have the convergence here, of the healing arts and the healing uh, ministry. And this, uh, we study uh, the history of medical missions, first of all, to know why we are doing what we are doing. Secondly, how we are doing what we are doing. Because there is, as Bruce referred to, there is a process of learning behind it. And this process is documented in a number of uh, reports about uh, the, uh, such activity as medical missions is. And if you go into the history of medical missions, it's full of anecdotes. It's full of hero talk. It's because it was a hero talk in the beginning uh, phases of the hero because Christian medical missionaries were, as one book title is called, Heralds of Health, what we now have, public health care 
in many a country, Asia, Africa, and Latin America, also Europe, not to forget, even North America uh, as well, among the Inuits uh, in the Arctic region. We are, of course, socialized to understand it in, the, in days where we have a World Health Organization, which pops up only as late as the middle of the 20th century, 1947-48. And in course of this, slowly national healthcare services developed. Before that, there was nada. <laughs> nada. Except for the few Christians who, as soon as they realized that medicine became powerful, that's the middle of the 19th century, they said, this is an obligation to us. God has given us this insight in how a human body really works. And what we can do, and that, for instance, malaria is not, called, is not caused by malaria, bad air, as it was thought, but it is really this mosquito. And the mosquito has to be extinguished, and you have, the wetlands have to be dried up. And you have to invent a mosquito net. And this saved life. And Christian uh, medical people, not all of them, of course, realized this. We have an obligation. God has given us this insight. And there was <laughs> there's a book published by a person uh, who uh, participated in one of uh, Dwight L. Moody's revival movements. And he was so impressed and so moved by a morning devotion he heard from uh, Moody that he had to went out and sat down to write a book and guess how it is called? Murdered Millions. Murdered Millions. And he says, if we do not pay attention to this aspect, to the people who are in need, whom we can help, we as Christians who have the gospel for our spiritual good and have medicine for our bodily good, are not to share it. He was not concerned about the financial implications because he didn't think about it. <laughs> and we have to be honest, to do such work, also funds are needed. But here again, the congregations do come in and say, well, you go out there, we cannot go all, everyone has a special calling, but we unite in this work. And believe me or not, not every mission board did so. It's only a quarter of all mission boards were engaging in this. Why? Because they say this is not the proper task of proclaiming the gospel. Well, I've already gone uh, too much ahead. <laughs> I apologize for this. Uh, uh, I'm getting excited about this. <laughs> Now the healing ministry of Jesus. Okay, that's boring. We know Jesus healed. Have you, ever, have you ever reflected why Jesus healed? Moses didn't heal. Mohammed didn't heal. Buddha didn't heal. Confucius didn't heal. They were teaching religious law, religious insight. Okay, that's fine, good. But why did Jesus heal? Why? Don't, don't take it for granted that what you read in the gospel, because you are so familiar with it, that what you read in the gospel is a given. It is not. There are, of course, nowadays, we, we call them modern religious in Japan, for instance, uh, which 
focus on healing and uh, uh, put their uh, teaching on healing. We know it of the Asclepius healing cult in the ancient time, of therapists in Egypt, we know that, but that were healing cults, as healing cults. But when we come to the so-called world religions, to the healing, why is it that Jesus healed? Why is it that we have in the Bible, as it was referred to, we have the creation story, we have the incarnation, God became man, an incarnation, if you translate it, means enfleshed. And that's why the dualism or uh, the uh, uh, anthropological mod model that we are body, mind and spirit does not work. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> this anthropology is only an attempt to understand the mystery what a human being is. No one has uh, really solved this problem. We should not attempt it. We have to struggle with this because that is our existential task. And as these persons, we, of course, fall ill. So, then, when talking about Jesus, Jesus healed in, uh, by unique ways. You cannot declare Jesus a healer. He is not. He healed. But he has no method. He even didn't ask for faith in every incident. Sometimes he did. Sometimes he did not. He healed in the proximity and he healed uh, uh, people afar. He healed on course of intercession, but not always. But everyone who came to him and he approached never left him unhealed. 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 I'm saying it is not cure. Don't uh, uh, or don't put a wedge into well, the healing and curing as it is in many circles. No. They left them completely restored to the being they were called to be. And the uniqueness of Jesus' healing is, as you see, this is the second point, it is by the authority of God incarnate. God in Jesus Christ, God became incarnate. That's another mystery. But you could, can say the incarnation relates then to the belief in the bodily resurrection. And in the third century, fourth century, uh, Anno Domini, uh, there was a heavy discussion on the bodily resurrection. Nowadays we say it's ridiculous. We see if you are cremated, I mean, what, 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 where is your bodily uh, resurrection? For many people, it was a sin to get cremated. That's why, for instance, the heretics got cremated. They should not have a part in the resurrection. But nowadays it had become a common practice out of economic reasons or what, uh, what you have. But the point is that our identity as who I am hinges on am I male, female or in between? Do not know the poor guys. Have I blonde hair? Am I bold? <laughs> am I corpulent? Am I slim? Am I African American? Am I Asian? Am I Caucasian? All our self-perception hinges on, on us that when we speak about we do not have a body, we are body. And that's the corner of medical missions, what it is about. Okay, now, uh, the healing very often is then talked about, the compassionate care. We will go in the course into detail of this. Uh, and uh, I, I have to say, save some of the time here, you see the emergence of Christian global healthcare 
this came about in the uh, first part of the 19th century, and you see in, in Guangzhou, in China, what formerly was called Canton. And it was in an interreligious, intercultural, and interdenominational setting. In, 90, in sorry, 1830, uh, in 1838, and uh, it all uh, is linked to the name of an American physician, a Presbyterian, uh, P uh, Peter Parker, and he is a student of Yale, and he went uh, with an uh, training in ophthalmology. And here you have the dates. We go into this, and the, uh, the picture over there shows how uh, foreigners uh, or non-patriots in Uh, Guangzhou at that time lived. There's a lot of history to be said. Uh, am I already there? Yes. Oh, uh, so short? <laughs> <laughs> but I have still some... But there has to come something. We were just Jesus because I wanted to, to tell you that the disciples, Jesus' disciples had to suffer from not being able to heal. And we should never forget it, because Christ had the authority to heal as God incarnate. And no question asked, everyone uh, left him uh, being healed, completely restored, restated to its or, uh, his or her original state. But the disciples had to suffer uh, from experiencing failure. And I think that's an experience which every good physician uh, will acknowledge and say, well, Uh, we tried our best, but we could not uh, support the system in such a way that it sustained itself any longer. And so the question of uh, suffering and of dying comes in as well. It's a constant um, companion to, to this. And later on, this kind of yeah, uh, compassion, <laughs> I have to work with this now, uh, this uh, kind of uh, compassion became... Uh, a feature of Christian, uh, I should say, Christian concern for the healing of uh, the, the deserving and the sick. Why is this important to be remarked? Because there is a kind of general solidarity within those needing help within your own kin and family, isn't there? And this is, you see it all over the place, Uh, from the earliest beginning of humankind. Even the very basic uh, tribes and ethnia, they care for one another in need. But they do it to a certain extent. Uh, I do not know if you have read this novel, The Tale of Two Women from one, I think, a Golking author. She writes uh, about uh, her own, as she puts it, and so I have to use this term, tribe, an Indian tribe and says, uh, tells the story of two women. One is very old, the other is handicapped. She cannot walk. And it is a hunting tribe. And for the survival of the tribe, when they had to move on, they had to leave these two behind. Because they would hamper the progress and the survival of the larger group. So they provided some foodstuff and left the women alone to die. And these women, uh, the old one, very experienced and wise, she uh, uh, knew how to 
season the material so that it, that it would last for a long time and the younger woman, the handicapped woman, could help her uh, in doing this. As it turns out, uh, there is a drought. The greens are gone. The tribe cannot survive by what they were doing, and they return to the place just to discover that these two ladies had sufficient food left to feed the tribe. <laughs> but what I wanted to say with this really moving, I think it's called the tale of two tribes, uh, is that, of course, solidarity with your deserving one goes to a certain extent only. And the Christians were doing it beyond their kin. And that is something which is beyond solidarity, uh, where, where you are emotionally related. And this actually is a challenge. Why are you doing this? Because it is a child of God. And you do it in your medical profession for the sake of, as it is said in John 9, that the glory of God may be revealed in it. Not necessarily that healing enters, but that you care for a person neglected by others. This demands quite a lot of you, and I think it is good to know Christ emptied himself to be with us. Emptied. Though he was God, he became man, which is unthinkable. I mean, God is God, and human is human. It's ridiculous. God cannot become a human. That's really... Do you grasp the mystery of what we confess, actually? The incarnation of God, it's, we cannot grasp it, because God is there, and we are here. but God, God became man. And this kind of what in theology we call, this kind of, uh, we call kenosis, emptying of this. And I think this is or will be required of those who work in this ministry. It is not paid for. It's a question of your attitude. And you should watch out if what I said in the beginning, don't get burned out. The rest on the congregation, back home and wherever you are. You cannot do without it. So, leave it there. Thank you. Oh, sorry. No, no. <laughs> Come back here. I'm just to help co uh, Mike with coordinating it. I have a, I have a question. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, Mike, you have so, uh, I have a question since you said uh, that you established a palliative care in India. In no, not in India. Uh, not in, in India, in Tübingen, in Germany. In, in Germany. Yeah. And so what, um, what kind of challenges or, uh, did you face when the patient who is like in the last stages of his life and they're like praying and you know and, and there's no healing that comes in and what what are the modes of encouragement that you get to Well first of all to be with a person. To be at the bedside. I can cite a number of incidences I, I have. I just shared one last night with Dan in our hotel room. If I may I do not want to uh, been entertainer here, but uh, <laughs> the point is, uh, I was called, uh, the nurses called me uh, say, well, we have a patient who is very lonely, it's difficult to work with her, because when you enter it says, there's this ugly smell of decaying flesh. I came in the window, she was isolated on, on her own, 
the window was, uh, uh, sorry, the bed was uh, positioned towards the window so that she had to look out, and when I, so I couldn't see her. When I came around, I saw that half the face was gone, beaten up by cancer. It could not be uh, dressed up. And you saw, I, I've never seen this before, the eye in just in the hole, no flesh any longer. I could see the jars, I could see up to the ear, or everything was gone this way. And this ugly smell. And so I was, couldn't say anything, uh, because I was so surprised. I was not uh, informed about this. And so I glared at her, or looked at her, might be indecent. I do not know what I did. But after quite some time, she said, you know, what a blessing it is if you are looked at by someone. And this opened, this opened up for me as an ordained pastor, it opened up for me the possibility to engage uh, in exchange. In this way. Because what can I say? It's beyond words what you see there and all the suffering. But I do not want to tell because it might become anecdotal. I do not want uh, to, to spoil this, what we have in the focus here. But uh, this is really the challenge we have. We have a ministry. We have a ministry. We have to be there. Could you go back to the question of why Jesus is the one that was doing the healing? Moses didn't. I missed First of all, I want to make you aware what to us Christians is a common given that we say, Jesus healed, okay. And we say we would like to imitate it. Not realizing that Jesus actually uh, was uh, in this way preaching because you can say the uh, healing is an expression of the corporeality of salvation. The corporeality of salvation is not something spiritual. It has a spiritual dimension. But it has to do with us as we are. And if you speak of the corporeality of salvation, you overcome this dichotomy, body, soul. You overcome body, mind and soul. Because when we speak of soul, we mean our entire being, but in the aspect of our feelings, our emotions, our thinking. That is soul. That is the soul. It is not something in us, it is us. As I said, we, aren't, we don't have a body, we are body. We are soul, we are mind. We are mind. We can study the word, and God has given us a tool. And so, in the early phases of medical missions, when they were formally installed, someone said, well, uh, what we have, modern medicine, he said, and I read it just yesterday again in order not to fool you in on something which was not said. <laughs> in 1989, he said, modern mission is the divinely instituted, what, what was the word, uh, replacement of mission. Oh, sorry, of, of miracles. Modern mission is a divinely appointed means of miracles. That's what he said. We need not agree to this. I'm not buying into this. I just want to, to quote it to you. And at the very end of the 19th century, it was a medical mission. is a heavy artillery of the, of the missionary army. 
So we are talking battalions here, and we are talking the fight. With, with, uh, well, I just put this before you to, to think, uh, and you see it might be helpful to study a little bit more the history of medical missions so much, and we will do this in this course. Thank you. Um, I'm interested in getting a copy of your book, and I just checked it out on Amazon and see the softback or, or soft copy is um, – a paper copy is uh, $64 and a hardback is 90 I, Is it out of print or is it just no, like a medical No, school? I, 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 I <laughs> what was the last I didn't get? Uh, the hardcover. Yeah, the hardcover is $91. It's, it, it's ridiculous, $64. isn't it? But I can tell you I have to, to buy the copies myself. <laughs> I have not even gotten a complimentary copy. But that's how valuable it is. No, <laughs> no. Uh, no I, uh, I'm, uh, I'm afraid, but uh, you, you can go to second-hand copies also if you want to get it. I do not want to uh, spoil your limited funds. I know uh, they are limited, but... Uh, uh, I'm sorry to hear that, but please don't put the blame on me. It is Johnny <laughs> Burns. <laughs> okay. Right. One more. Oh, one, one, more. One, one more. Yeah, I'm sure it's important to read the book, but I was just curious if you had anything to share about uh, your study of history of medical missions, if there have been any patterns or shiftings over time that have been helpful or even perhaps not helpful. Oh, well, uh, there have been many uh, developments. Medical missions has uh, turned out to be a process of learning from the very beginning. First, there are these outstanding uh, hero individuals which go at one place, build a small hospital, do itineration, go on rounds, train local people. That was the first beginning. So the hospital was uh, uh, the center. Then, uh, later on, it uh, do, uh, well, we have, we have to do more. So uh, Christian medical missionaries were the first who uh, trained indigenous people in the art of Western uh, medicine. And uh, Rebecca will tell about the cultural implications. This has. Very often in the beginning they were so naive and say, well, this is the right thing to do, ignoring uh, local medicine. And, but this is now looked up in ethnomedicine, as, as we call it. We have. And then after the Second World War, in the middle of the 20th century, there came a rethinking of medical missions. Why? This is very important, uh, because in the meantime, you had private hospitals coming up, popping up in the nations around the world. You had national health services, and the Christians asked, were asking, should we maintain a hospital because the hospital equipment and stuffing it demanded so much of funds that mission board said, the funds, the donations we receive are not meant for the bodily work. But now here you see the theological implications which come in if you say we have a body, not we are a body. Because salvation is always corporeal. It's not something just in your mind. And so they reconsidered it, and this led in the end to the formation of what is now known as primary health care, accepted by the World Health Organization as official policy in 1978. And here you can see how Christian from mean beginnings, Christian doctors and nurses from mean beginnings had an impact on world policy, healthcare policy. 
And, and this is very impressive. So there has uh, been a significant shift. And nowadays, most of the Christian healthcare initiatives are in public health in the broadest sense. This does not make the glossy papers of journals. This does not make, uh, give you a career which uh, so you won't make much money. Are you willing to do this? That's why the exclamation mark sent to you. Thank you so much. You can see why, uh, you know, the, the, the course, he hasn't even touched on, on the, the sessions of history because you can see his passion for understanding how this all comes together. And uh, to, to put the, the, the kind of the capsule around, uh, it was the Tübingen Conference in 1946, Tübingen, 64, uh, Tübingen Conference, where, where everybody gathered to say, well, every, well since, since government's taking over healthcare, what's the role of missions in healthcare? And everybody was expecting to, to come to a conclusion that now it, we just close down and let everything get taken care of. And the, and the surprise of Tübingen, and he goes into this in, in, in many papers that he's written, by the way, you know, is that we came to this realization that no, you know, we are a body, i.e., mission and health and, and salvation, and it's all encompassed. And you look at how Jesus did his ministry, you know, there was no separation. It was all together. That's the, that's the message of the course. Our minds have been blown into this uh, crazy understanding that comes from our heritage from Greco-Roman all the way through, and the emphasis is always there, and the technology, is it, the technology just keeps reinforcing the separations that we as Christians have to say and shout, no, 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 no. We're about being in the presence of a woman whose face is half gone. That is healing. That is healing. So we're going to take a break. It's been intense. Two minutes. Just stand. Don't please move. If you have to leave, we won't say anything, but stand for two minutes because your butts are sore, and then we'll get on to the second half. Yeah, I will. How do you spell tubing? Tubing in? Yeah. T T U with an umlaut. Okay. Two dots on top. Yeah. Uh, B I N G E N. Tubing in. Tubing in. Yeah, it was a okay. conference, 1964. Got that. And uh, well, he he alluded to it, but I and I didn't take time to pull it all together. Tubing in was this this realization that no. We have to be uh, we have to be theologically correct around how we understand healing. The church needs to be involved in healing at all times. It has in the past. We've gone through this phase where where uh, the the, uh, the 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 church has has taken the gifts of God in science to bring better medicine and healing to the nations. And just because government's going to take over and pay for it and do it doesn't mean we don't do it. And, and that 1964 uh, exclamation went to the went to, to the uh, some of the leaders within uh, healthcare, and and uh, some of these men were the ones that 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 talked about the primary healthcare model. We not we don't just do the institutions; we do a, a primary healthcare model, and that led to the 1978 Alta Alma Ata conference, which then 
uh, initiated WHO's okay. Help for All Nations. All right. Step down, okay. We gave you two. We're not going to give you more. Thanks for your patience uh, with, uh, with us and all the session we're talking about. We're going to move on now to uh, session uh, to the, the explanation of the, of the third section in the course on, on the influence and, and uh, role of culture. And uh, we've uh, been blessed to have Rebecca Meyer with us who has been helping with this section. But I want to give uh, a, a personal and uh, corporate thanks to her for being a whole huge engine behind getting this course off the ground. She is a busy lady. She is a professor at Cal uh, Baptist uh, University in uh, nursing and has a full plate of all those responsibilities and yet has taken on being uh, the workhorse behind uh, this course to get us all in our places to get things done. And I want to give her special thanks. I want you to do that right now. Thank you. So I'm going to talk a little bit about culture. Now, you all know we could spend weeks and weeks, a whole semester, a whole year, talking about culture and worldview, and I get about 20 minutes. So it's all good. Um, we can have conversations later. Um, I know there's some great breakout sessions, too, that are going into some of this. But we're going to look briefly at some of the terms related to culture and worldview. Um, and if I don't remember your question, you can circle back to your question as well. Um, but we'll see how we go here. So we have to kind of start with terms and concepts, and that's what we do in the curriculum. We start with some of these. We are maybe familiar with some of the terms that might be out there, but this iceberg, isn't that a great visual? I just love this visual of culture. What we see when we enter culture, and that can be in our backyard, so our Jerusalem, our Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth, whatever that looks like, that's X18. Um, we only see the tip, and it isn't until we've entered into that culture that we really get a great understanding, and we have to do things like learn language, right, in order to really understand some of those nuances. How many in the audience have served long-term overseas? So you did all of that. Um, and you really get to understand what is going on below that surface area. Think about our patients. Let's say you're taking care of a patient. My background is um, pediatric ICU, cardiac ICU, ECMO, all the fun things. And um, then I, that was about 20 years worth of work. And then I kind of shifted gears to vulnerable populations, community development, CHE uh, training, and that kind of thing with students as a professor. Um, but when I'm in a hospital room, I only maybe even see the teeniest, tiniest tip of that iceberg. I don't see all the other things. So culture really is trying to understand um, what is going on beneath the service to really understand why people are making the choices that they're making related to their health care. That's really what I want to try to uncover when I look at culture in general. So there's lots of terms, or excuse me, definitions, if you will, of culture, and we could, again, spend hours just on that, but it really does include all the values, all the norms, all these things that you see down below. If you look down toward the very bottom, I know it might be kind of hard to see way in the back, but worldview is way down in the bottom. So worldview is really important, and we could, again, spend lots of time just on that. But it's really the shared elements within that group of people that are um, 
that we're interacting with, if you will. So all these cultures around the world have different worldviews, right? Ours might be a little bit different. And it might be only different by a little bit, but enough that that person there is going to make a different decision, even if they were raised in the same culture, than that patient over there based on their worldview, the lens. Like if I look at the world through red lenses or you look at the world through green lenses, that's that's going to affect every decision I make, right? We see that here in the States, and of course we see that overseas as well. So we really need to understand all the things that we're talking about in these first, uh, let's see, six lessons is um, based on a kingdom worldview, What does God tell us about what it is that we are supposed to do? Now, in that lens, whatever color is your favorite color, I'm going to look at the world because I'm a kingdom worker. I am looking at, hopefully, life through the lens that Jesus shares with us, as Dr. Benderman was just telling us earlier. So what that means is I need to um, do what's called enter that in a certain posture. And that's a posture of humility. And we've heard that um, earlier today as well, this idea of um, our entry posture. This was put together. This is a modification of what InterVarsity has been using for years and years in their training. Thank you, Grace. Um, Shout out to Grace, who is also co-author in this section. And um, so we just thank you for that. But that kingdom worldview that we've been hearing about, that it's really, it's true, it's trustworthy, um, it guides us based on everything that we do. And restoration is one way of viewing God's kingdom. That's, again, when we think about healing, we can't cure everybody. I had to be in the wilds of, of Uganda before I realized I can't cure everybody. And that's okay. I can show the love of Jesus to that person that's in front of me in that moment. And that is enough because God is enough. So cultural humility, when we think about, um, uh, again, going back to the slide, clothe yourselves in humility from First Peter. That really is what this entry posture really means because otherwise I'm going to cause cultural distress. And that's a new, newer paradigm kind of based on a scientific uh, mindset. And if anybody's interested, I can give you more information. And by the way, sidebar, we do have some articles posted, a few by our expert over here about Scent to Heal. So that's sidebar. Um, but when we think about cultural humility, it really is about our approach. Are we open? Now, when I take teams of students overseas, now it's more of a short-term um, situation, we go into these places, we do all this training for culture, for safety, you know, what's our rally point if we get, if there's danger, all the things that are so important. But we get there and I say, okay, here's our, they'll say, where's our schedule, right, our science mind? What's our schedule? What are we going to do today? We need to know everything. Okay, fine, I'll give you a schedule, but you know what's going to happen when we get there. It's gone. So, um, but students don't understand that. And people going to the field for the first time might not understand that either. And that's where culture shock and some of those other concerns can come into play. And so we talk a little bit about that in the course as well. Because if I'm not open and accepting, I run on clock time. Our clinics all run on clock time. Guess what? We can have that women's health lesson and it's scheduled for 4 o'clock and hmm, it's 5 o'clock. Then 6 o'clock, oh, people are starting to come now. They had other duties. They had other things. They were out in the field. They were tending the rice or what have you, and now they're coming in. So our ideas of 
what we are structured around here in the U.S. is so different. And we can encounter that here, right? We can have a patient that's super late, fashionably late, but that's part of their culture. We talk about uh, some of the places I've been. We talk about India time, Uganda time, Thailand time. It's different. It's a different mindset. And then like Mike mentioned earlier, we have the fatalistic um, peoples that think that, well, I deserve to be sick. I'm not going to take my medicine. Why do your patients not take their medicine? There might be a variety of reasons as to why they don't. So if we're not open, then we're going to be viewed on uh, viewed as uh, suspicious. We're not going to be accepted into the culture. You know that you've been started to be accepted into the culture. I'm old and I have three kids and six grandkids. Um, when they start calling you auntie or uncle, that's a small little step toward being accepted into the culture itself. And so if I am open and accepting and adaptable, then I'm going to help, that's going to help us establish trust, right, in that culture. And because there's going to be cultural differences, no matter how much you've trained, there's still going to be stuff that you are not prepared for that's going to happen. Uh, Flooding through a building and then having to clean it all up. Just, I mean, we could all probably share some great stories of, of things that have happened. And if things happen where you get frustrated and confused and embarrassed, what's your response going to be? Is it going to be a positive response or is it going to be a negative response? Are you going to criticize? Oh, I just hate it when this happens. Or are you going to observe and listen and learn from the culture? I have learned so many things. Um, We, again, in medical missions and... Perry's going to talk a little bit more about that after me, strategies. But we often go into the place where we're headed with the Mighty Mouse mentality. How many of you are old enough to know who Mighty Mouse is? <laughs> many of you are too young. You know, this little mouse that flew around and said, here I am to save the day. Um, we need to go in with a different mindset. We need to go in humbly, that humility. We need to go in and really think about why am I here? And what do they need? I know I, I've got some skills. I've got some tools in my toolbox. But what do they need? It might be totally different than what I think is needed. And so that's part of our um, discussion when we think about culture. Because otherwise, I'm going to either establish rapport, and I'm going to be called auntie, or I'm going to alienate them, and we'll have bad outcomes, which isn't what any of us want. So when we think about cultures, this is a really great chart, and um, it's part, just a small piece of what we have in our uh, lesson for, we have two lessons related to culture, and we talk about this uh, comparison, if you will, of worldviews, and I know, I'm sorry, it might be a little hard for you guys over there to see, Um, but we have the first column, which is our biomedical model. Can you guys see A little bit better, maybe. Um, so the biomedical model is how how many of you were trained in that biomedical model? Yep, all of us. So in that worldview, we um, are trained to think of cause and effect. Okay, I've got a patient in CHF, um, not voiding, so I'm going to give some Lasix. I expect something to happen, right, after we give that Lasix. That's cause and effect. And so we're really trained in that way. The body's a functioning as a machine, uh, very science-based 
everything can be measured. We just heard about data, but it was a much better presentation about data and how we can use it from a kingdom worldview. But it sometimes takes away that perspective of miracles. And you mentioned miracles. Miracles do happen. I have seen miracles. We were doing a health um, health education for women in a village. We used uh, the chain method where you do lots of storytelling from scripture. We told the, the story from uh, the, about the bleeding woman. And a woman came up to us afterwards and she went, excuse me. I'm that woman. I've been bleeding for years and years and years. Now, we were in a really remote village, and I said, oh, great. I don't have anything we can do. Oh, wait. What can I do? I can pray. So we prayed over that woman. Oh, Lord, that's all we can do. But prayer is powerful, and miracles happen, and that woman was healed. Sorry. So some of the worldviews that you might be interacting with hold more of a magical religious worldview. And that could be, um, you hear about balance, uh, yin-yang, hot-cold. There's lots of cultures around the world that have that particular perspective. And you need to keep everything in balance. When I was in China, I had a student that was saying, well, I can't eat that because my um, Chinese medicine person told me that I can't have that. And in some of these places around the world, when I was in China, for example, teaching, they go to the hospital and they get the Western medicine in this pharmacy, and then they go to the traditional medicine pharmacy and get that medicine, and they use it together, right? And so we need to understand that there's different ways that people approach this particular um, perspective. And then animism. Animism is around the world, and it's often combined with other perspectives. So animism is that belief that there's spirits everywhere, in the rocks, in the trees, in the rivers, everywhere. And ancestor worship would perhaps fall into this um, area as well. It includes any work that's done by shamans, uh, witch doctors, whatever the label or um, name is in that particular area. Uh, And it's all about fear. We don't live in a spirit of fear. But a lot of people around the world live in a spirit of fear. And so being able to have a conversation and try to find that common ground, because we're operating from that kingdom perspective. So we really do want to come alongside people. We know, as we um, hear about in the lessons earlier on, about the fall, about suffering, about some of the causes of disease. But if I have a patient in front of me that thinks that their disease is caused by a spirit or that they did something wrong, are they going to adhere to the medical plan? Whatever I say, absolutely not. So we need to find ways to build that bridge. Again, that entry posture, going in and establishing trust, whatever that might look like, so that they do, we can come together and figure out a plan that works for their culture. And that's, again, we go into a lot more detail in the class about worldviews and comparing that to a biblical worldview. We also talk a little bit about redemptive analogies. Anybody heard that term before? A few of you. So Don Richardson wrote some great books about the peace child, about eternity in their hearts. There's scripture that says everybody has eternity in their hearts. There's a common story within every culture just about around the world. Or if you can find that common story, the peace child is about an offering of a firstborn, just like Jesus was an offering for our sin. And so... Um, it's an interesting when you start thinking about redemptive analogies, so we go into that a little bit as well in our content areas. 
So, yeah. So cultural humility really is the basis for um, what this particular lesson, these two lessons go into. And I want to allow um, Perry to have some time to talk about strategies because that's kind of why a lot of us are here perhaps too. But when we think about that, when we think about stigma, do we have stigma here in the U.S.? Absolutely. Do we have generalizing versus stereotyping and which one is better or is either one of them better? Right. So, again, we look at some of those words and what's the difference? What are some different alternative healthcare practices you see in your areas? So those are really important to consider, whether you're doing domestic missions or whether you're doing missions overseas. And so we really have some great conversations. And, again, as we said, we have people in this particular cohort that are from African countries and Asian countries, and they really help us uh, dive deeply into some of this cultural context. So, questions? Did I answer your question? Okay, awesome. Anybody else? (laughs) Back of the room. (laughs) My question, not on the content, but uh, on the objectives So I'll answer that question first, culture and worldview. Um, We, in the lesson, really go into what is culture, and we have more of a definition um, in a two-hour session. We don't have enough time to go deeply into that because you're absolutely right. So one of the activities, the way that the curriculum is set up, there's learning activities. So those of you that have done perspectives, you might have done the workbook, and then you went to the big fat reader, and then you went back to the workbook, and then to the reader. Um, our course is structured somewhat similarly to that. So for the worldview, we do some deep dive into um, Sire's content, the universe next door. So we look at what is a worldview. Does this worldview believe in God or many gods or no God? What does, what does that worldview look at? Uh, we look at, do they believe, um, what do they think happens to a person after death? What do they think caused disease? So there's an actual activity that we dive deeply into um, for worldview. And then, yes, we separate out culture includes, just like that iceberg, culture includes all of those things. Worldview is just one piece of culture in general. Yeah, I think, you know, we would say that the course is not a, comprehensive preparation for going mm-hmm. into the field, but it's a mobilization tool, and yes. then you're, you know, whatever organization you're sent with is going to have an, an onboarding and a, and a deepening understanding of where you're going, so it, it's right. a mobilization. Kind of thing, so. 
Right. So if you're going to a Muslim context, you would want to have more in-depth information about that particular context uh, or wherever. You know, we, we'll be the first to recognize that, you know, we're hearing from a lot of Caucasians, uh, a lot of us are older guys, right, which, you know, we're older all ladies. now anyway, right? <laughs> um, but from the, from the get-go, the intention has been to have this as diverse as we can. So this is what is called a minimum viable product. Does anybody here know Agile thinking? <laughs> well, okay. So minimal, minimum viable product is something that you, you can use but you continually get feedback on it. So through the courses, we'll get feedback and we'll continue to modify. And one of the most modifiable, I would say, is going to be the culture section because we want this to apply in a Chinese culture section or context. We want it to be tapered towards an Indian context. So that'll be probably the piece that's most adjustable. So we do have that at the heart of this. Even though it looks very white and Caucasian right now, it's... That was not the intention. It's just that we had to get, you know, we had to get things going and trying to do things, you know, globally with developing something like this is really hard. We also have content in the curriculum that deals with um, different cultural practices, and so there's a listing of some of the cultural practices, and then a place for people that are in the course to share the cultural practices that they see within their sphere. Hi. Uh, Dave from the UK. Um, I work with Christian Medical Fellowship, and uh, my colleague asked me to look out for things about decolonizing global health. Is that something you've been thinking about that you teach on on this course? Do you want to go for that? (laughs) (laughs) Did he he say to to, warn you that that's what we teach or that we're getting into, or what? No, she wants resources. Oh, for resources. People are asking about it. True. I think, and, and don't you think, I think Perry's probably going to maybe talk about good strategies and, and yeah. so the you know, colonial thinking and, yeah. Yeah, I think what we would say is we don't want to talk about de-anything, like, because deconstruction, decolonizing, is sort of, you get this tearing down, like, we got it. And, and there is some of that adjustment that needs to happen. Oh, sorry. Um so I do envision having that integrated in. We don't have it yet, but I don't even know what you would call it now. If you don't call it decolonizing and de-westernizing, I would even say, because that's a lot of what needs to happen, I think, as well. Um, I'm not sure that we've, we've identified the resources for that yet, but it is something that we're willing to discuss and have a conversation about. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah, okay. All right, balancing all the microphones. I would love to introduce to you um, Dr. Perry Jansen. I'll let him tell more about himself. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Rebecca. Yeah, I'm Perry Jansen, uh, another family doctor. You know, says something about family doctors. We're very holistic in our in our mindset, and I, I've been privileged to be a part of this. Um, you know, there's that old saying. You know, if you want to make God laugh, you tell him your plans. You know, and strategy is a little bit that way. You know, we can strategize around things, but as I reflect back, I won't tell my my whole story. I don't have time, but. You know, when I, we went to, to Malawi in, in 2000, planning to be there for a couple of years, 
and really ended up starting a major HIV ministry. And then really God calling me into focusing on health systems. That was not my strategy when I was exploring, you know, what God was doing, getting me out of American medicine. And so, you know, the key thing, and I, and I think you'll hear it through a lot of the talks, really as you think about what God is doing and what God is calling you to do. You know, God is calling you to invite him into what he is doing. And so, you know, sometimes uh, you know, our strategies are really more hubris uh, and really need to be laid down at the, at, the, at the altar before God and say, God, what was most important for me is to walk with the Lord, learn to hear his voice, study his word, observe what we see, and then uh, experience God's heart. And that's really what, what converted me in, in, in Africa from going there, not knowing what I wanted to do, to focusing on HIV was realized that God gave me his heart for people living with HIV. And then because of relationship, because of uh, you know a lot of things that the Lord did, not that I did, I met, met the right people, I was in the right environment to understand the broader strategy of what the government was wanting to do, what the WHO was wanting to do, what donors were wanting to do, and what my peace was in that. And, and you know, without staying close to the Lord, without seeking that, and without receiving a, a calling, you know, I think we, we often rush in, and Americans are very much about, you know, praxis. And, you know, we want to turn all of this into action. And I would, I would say, you know, that the foundation that this course gives you when you talk about the theology, the why are we doing this, the history, you know, let's not repeat uh, mistakes of the past and let's actually understand what are the things that really did work and what about those things worked that could be addressing unique challenges and opportunities that we have today and, and as we go forward, learning from the lessons of the past and Certainly many of us have made uh, lots of cultural faux pas, and so learning culture is super important. Uh, I, I really love the term cultural humility. And for me, that includes an understanding that I see things in a particular way because of my experience and my education and my family and all the choices that I've made, all that type of thing. And, and actually, to, to this discussion, even people who never go to the mission field, our, our, our society right now, needs to have cultural humility. We need to understand, I see this because of where I'm standing, and that person over there sees things really differently, not because they're bad or evil, but because they have a different perspective. So it's very, very applicable things. Um, as we think about strategy, we don't, you know, there's, a, there's so much that we could cover uh, with strategy. And, you know, I think many... We, we, do, we do have a, an exercise in, in there, we call it a SWOT analysis, where we look at what are the, what are the ways that uh, medical missions has expressed itself over the years. And this is just a handful of, of ways. And we look at to say, well, what are the things that, that actually were good about this? What are the strengths of short-term missions, of building mission hospitals, of doing community-based care, medical education, disaster response? And then what are the pitfalls? What have we learned from those experiences that we may not want to repeat as we're addressing, as we're addressing new challenges? And the beauty of this course, I think, is, is recognizing from that history that God really did use medical missions in powerful ways to address human need, you know, alleviate suffering. He used it to advance uh, education 
through, you know, most educational institutions, even the concept of universities really rose up from Christianity. The, the, the concept of a hospital, a place for people to come together, uh, some great, uh, readings on, on basically from, from Christian experiences in working in communities up rose a movement for, uh, primary health care and for preventative health that really was emulated and held up, and now, you know, people think, you know, this was quite the WHO that came up with this. This was really from people experiencing what works and what doesn't work in, in these resource-limited settings. So, you know, important part of this is really learning from all that history and examining uh, current strategies. Um, there's an exercise, and maybe we can talk about it at the end, but where we talk a little bit about what are those things? And many, I'm sure, if you're here, you probably have experienced something about one of these aspects of what we would call medical missions. And, and, and some of you may have some very terrible experiences of that's like, wow, I, this, this almost made me lose my faith or decide I didn't want to be, quote, a missionary. Um, and I think the thing that this doesn't capture is really the, the reality that God calls each of us as believers uh, to be active in his kingdom. And often we, del- we relegate, I guess, uh, missions and ministry to professionals. And it's, again, you know, look at learning from history, this separation between the sacred and, and the, the, the common, you know, the secular. And recognizing whether, whether God calls you to go to Indonesia or Africa or inner city Baltimore, you know, God has called each of us as believers to use what God has blessed us with in our personalities and our education and, and uh, our relationships and networks as, as members of God's kingdom. And that we all have, in a sense, a vocation, a calling to use those for his glory. And, and as we think about these common terms that we go in every chapter, we think about, about, uh, about shalom, you know, that this right relationship between God, with your own body, with people around you, with, with all of creation, you know, that, that actually puts healthcare people in just really a, in a, a beautiful spot to do ministry, whether you're at a secular university, whether you're at the CDC, you know, Susan Hillis, think about the things that she's been able to accomplish within the federal government as a, as a believer. So wherever God has you, God can use you as a part of his restorative plan for all of mankind and for the people that he brings into your paths and sometimes for huge systems. Um, so we talk about in this in this chapter some of the some of the the, the the challenges as well as the benefits of mission hospitals and where we see our opportunities for the future. And I think um, one of the things as we as we look back, we realize that that. God used these tools, like especially modern uh, medicine, to address real felt needs within communities. You know that that Peter Parker went into Africa, went into uh, China, you know, with with a product that was desirable, and it allowed him to go places that he never could have gone before. You know, using a scalpel to enter uh, into uh, fields that he could never have gone before, and God is continuing to do that within many of the least reached, you know, unengaged people groups that um, if you, I don't know if Rick Allen is here, 
maybe not, but uh, MedSend, he, uh, CEO Rick Allen talks about this often, is that uh, many of these countries that have the greatest gap in access to uh, a Christian witness will not let in even business people, businesses, mission people. They certainly don't let in traditional missionaries and preachers, but all of them have a need for health care. And, and some of the most, the least reached places have the most. Uh, there's, a, there's, this ama- there's this great overlap between un- unreached, unengaged people group and enormous uh, needs um, with the poor. And so God can use healthcare in a way that He doesn't use. You know, He's, he's using healthcare to do things that n- that nothing but healthcare can do right now to open up those areas. And you know, there there are, and there are many other gaps. You know, as we look at what is God may be calling you to. You know, often it isn't to go and just compete with some other secular ministry, but I think God in particular calls us to do things that other people aren't doing. Um, medical education, I think, is one of those areas that God is clearly opening up uh, this remnant. <laughs> some people call them remnant of mission hospitals. I think of as a foundation that God has created this foundation over years, and the churches and mission agencies have sometimes said, you know, what what are we going to do with all these expensive mission hospitals? And many of them are turning now to being training hospitals, training doctors and surgeons, and and also training healthcare leaders for the future of this country. This is not about creating a, a place to send more missionaries. This is about creating a true indigenous, a true uh, um, uh, organization that honors Christ, cares for the poor, and addresses uh, whole person care uh, in these settings, and then serves as uh, a, a launching place for missions. What we're seeing is doctors who are coming from these contexts going to study you know, there's someone from Congo who goes to Gabon to to be trained as a surgeon is now working in Liberia as as a surgeon, as a faculty member, training other Africans to do surgery. And this is really we we understand that with church mission. I mean, churches you plant churches not to just continue sending missionaries, but so you raise a mature body who really understands the word, understands the calling towards health ministry, owns that and cares not only just here, but begins to be missional in how they're thinking. And we're seeing that happen, really, uh, from the foundations that have been laid in the past as we look at history. So addressing, as you guys, you guys are in various places, I see young people, I see older people, people who may be called into future missions, people who may uh, be supporting those financially as well as in mentoring um, and, and, you know, to examine what God is calling you to do and to understand that actually there's a lot to learn from history and from mistakes. There's a huge amount of data that can tell us where the needs are, and we can be strategic in how we address those needs. But the core thing is really being obedient and following what God is calling you in particular. We do have a section towards the end of this that is on systems thinking. And systems thinking, Mike Soderling is one that sort of brought that to my mind. I did some extra training at Cornell on that. And uh, it's basically understanding, you know, often in science we think very linearly. If you do this, it leads to that, that leads to this, that leads to that. And those of us who have worked in developing countries in health recognize it actually, most of what occurs around us is more like chaos 
than some sort of a linear process. But we talk a little bit about um, uh, complexity theory, where you have very simple, orderly kinds of things that happen in a predictable way. You have complicated things that you know require a great amount of knowledge and skill to bring all the pieces together, but they're fairly they, they are doable and they're defined. And then you have complex things where basically think, uh, the, the situation there are many things that are that are shifting whatever it is that you're looking at, in, some in the positive way, some in negative ways, and all of those things are working together and constantly changing, and and so basically creating learning systems that are able to develop feedback loops and understand what's happening, what's working, what's not working, how do we move forward and grow, sort of like an organism. How do we move? You know, when you're traveling somewhere, you, you need to go that way, but sometimes you've got to go that way and that way and then this way and that way and this way. And the reality in mission is more like that. Complexity systems thinking, complexity theory gives you actually some tools to at least be able to appreciate the complexity, if not to be able to identify specific, what they often call leverage points, to say, well, you know, you map out all the things that lead to that. What are the key things that we could do uh, in order to change whatever outcome is that you're addressing? So we go into that a little bit. Um, this chapter, I mean, this this is a basically a very much a primer for systems uh, thinking, and, but just something to, to trigger your thoughts. Um, I think we're running out of time, and I'll leave some time for closing as well. Any questions then on the on the strategy side? That was all very complex. Yes. <laughs> Good. That's what I like. Uh, thank you, Dr. Jackson. Yeah. Yeah, I'm to remove my mask. I'm originally from uh, Nepal. Uh, I'm not the head of work, but uh, I'm a pastor mm. and international development work. Okay. So uh, already I thank you for all this presentation. Can we go back to it earlier? Yeah. These five things. And, yeah. Uh, the Christian history in Nepal, many, some of you know that, actually started with the mission hospital in the 1950s. There was no Christians. There's few doctors that came into the country. And he started a small clinic, became a mission hospital. And they started training local people. And, and actually, there are more uh, Christians, doctors, and health workers in Nepal than, I don't know, now it's more uh, not Christian too. But my, my question is uh, now, is it, yeah, I, I, I don't see here that you already mentioned that the business model. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, we had. A uh, couple of mission hospitals, some of them were handed over to the government. They removed all the, uh, the Bible verses and the pictures of Jesus, and they put back the, uh, the Hindu deities in Kathmandu. Mm. So that really breaks my heart. So uh, we have so many doctors and nurses in Nepal, and uh, even the facility, and we talk about the starting a medical school, but uh, there were the, the guys, uh, the missionaries, uh, the directors, they didn't uh, have the interest. The local people, the educated people, I also served with the Mission Hospital for five years. We, we brought up that issues to start a medical school so that medical school can make the money and we can run the, the hospital. Yeah. Uh, they didn't uh, uh, receive that idea. Now, there's a couple of businessmen, they started a medical school there and they have 500 
bed capacity hospital, a teaching hospital, the same place. Mm. And the mission hospital is struggling to run the hospital. Yeah. So, uh, I, I don't know um, uh, other countries, but most of the developing countries, we really struggling in that area. We don't need free medicines. We don't need free things. But we need some ideas, some help, some partnership to start a business model. Maybe we can, many mission hospitals are closing down and it's struggling mm-hmm. financially. Mm-hmm. And can we uh, uh, kind of tr- uh, develop or go toward a private Christian hospital business model? Yeah. That other people are thriving. Why not we are moving toward that direction? That's my question. So if you have any models or any such as stories or any plan, any you know, part of the course uh, dealing with these issues, that would be great help for us. Thank you. Well, that's easy. There's just there's an app for that, and it's no problem. We'll just give you the the URL for that. That's a that's a great question, and there there are many people that I talk to when you who doing healthcare work and and running hospitals. You talk about business planning. Goes well, this is not a business. It's like well, we need to understand that you have to pay salaries, you have to get buy equipment, all that stuff, and and I think that is something that is growing. There's some way there are some great models and, and ideas of how to do that. But a lot, often it is really creating a learning institution, or creating a learning environment where you can recognize where those needs are, where the opportunities are, and then bring it together. A lot that we can work, learn from the business and nonprofit world about being missional, that you have a clear vision and mission, core objectives, priorities, strategies, tactics, and, and getting some good business training to people who are doing ministry will actually help them to, to really put those things in the right order and, and not get out of balance with, with losing the mission. And that's often what happens with mission hospitals when they just need to make money and they lose all the missionaries. They're no longer missional in that they don't care for a whole person, they don't address spiritual needs, and they often neglect the poor. Yeah. All right. We, you guys have been very patient. Yeah. Um, we just we want to conclude here. Um, so what am I supposed to say at the end? Um, okay, let's go to that. So I um, I don't want to neglect to promote this book. Um, I'm sorry that. Christopher's book has become so expensive. He has no control over that. This book, however, <clears throat> you can get up at our booth, second floor at the, the Christian Journal for Global Health for, what can I say? $10, okay? And if you order it online, I think you can still get a discount. Um, great book. I want to acknowledge, too, a couple of other folks. Grace Tazelar, who has been such an integral part of this. Neil, are you still here? Or Neil Thompson, did you book out of here? Okay. So Neil is uh, an OMF missionary who's been uh, integral to this development of this as well. And if I, if I left anybody out, I'm sorry. Oh, Rob is our project manager. We wouldn't be where we are right now without him. And, but, again, I, uh, we need to acknowledge Rebecca's contribution to this. And she is a nurse extraordinaire, uh, curriculum developer. So, um, so.
so the way that we have got it structured right now is the the reading is done ahead of time. So this is a flipped uh, classroom. You consume the material ahead of time. You come together to talk about it. Um, we do now with our cohort 90-minute session, no, 75-minute sessions. So as we as was explained, we'll have about 20 minutes or so with the presenter, who the teacher is for that week, and then we'll open it up to questions with the with the group. And we use Slack, and we you know we we use WhatsApp and all those kind of things. Um, <clears throat> there's a considerable amount of reading, right? This is uh, you know a serious course. So some of the reading is a little bit more voluminous than others. So some weeks it's not too bad. Some weeks it's, you know, 50 or 60 pages of reading. The strategy section gets a little bit more with um, videos and, and such, but they're still reading with that, just like the perspectives course. Um, I would mention that we are working towards <laughs> expanding this curriculum even further <clears throat> in the future and having an MA available in global health leadership. So that's one of our long-term goals. So hopefully in the next couple of years we'll have that available. Um, the weekly learning activities we talked about. Okay, I think that's just about it. I want to show you. Oops. Here's our. Now. How do you push on that? So I wanted to mention too that if you go to this little thing on your card, you're going to go to the content. I think that's still the way it's set up, right? Is it'll show you the Google Classroom. So it gives you a really good idea of the content of the material. And then this is our website. So CJ, that's the journal, cghiperspective.com. What is the cost? Well, that's a good question. <clears throat> We're, you know, to be open and transparent, we're still in kind of the development phase. So the next cohort <clears throat> is still not charged. And we would like the next cohort to have um, lots of nurses because the cohort we have now is a bunch of doctors, which is fine. But, <clears throat> again, we want to have that diversity. And um, so we're looking for a cohort that has more of the, uh, the nursing profession involved. And <laughs> um, so we don't know yet when it's going to be in its near final form or when it will be in its final learning management system or its LMS. We haven't decided which we're going to use. I mean, they've got Moodle, they've got Canvas, they've got you name it to choose from. Um, so if you, <clears throat> um, if you go to that, well, this won't get you to the sign-up, will it? Yeah. Does it? Okay. So on this website, you can enroll, and it will ask you for some information, and, and we can get you signed up. Uh, you, you'll have to be patient as we figure out who the next cohort is, because we also have to build in the teachers and the facilitators for the course. So we anticipate starting the next one in January. Uh, our cohort now has, I think we had 15 enrolled or something like that. But we can, you know, accept 20 to 25. Um, so that's that's kind of what we're looking at for the next cohort. And it, again, will be a 10-week um, teaching session, as we did this time. We are already talking with some people about doing it as an intensive in-person. So Greg Sager and Community Health Service Corps 
is talking to us about coming to their facility in Texas and doing it with live facilitators. So we're open to that uh, as well. Okay. Yes. That QR code that you have will take you to Google Classroom. That's only open until I get home. And once I get home, I'm going to shut it down. So if you want to jump in, this is only for those of you who are attending today. To see the material, kind of read through it. We want to, we want prepared folks. Right? We don't want to trap you into something and say, "Oh, this is a piece of cake." This is not a cakewalk. So we want to give you an opportunity to see the work and walk through it. And we'll be online for you too. You can ask us questions as you look through the yep. material. And the other thing that we've been facilitating this week is a, a, a Lausanne Global Classroom. So if you're familiar with the Lausanne movement, you go to their website, go to their classroom. They have several online self-paced programs. There's one on creation care. There's one on mental health. There's a whole bunch of them. So this week we're working on developing a global classroom that, in essence, is the, the basic elements of this course. In, in its most elemental form. So if you've taken perspectives at the most basic level, where you're just auditing it, you know, you just kind of come and go when you want, that's what that course will be. And you can take your own self-paced with that. It'll be the similar sort of content. Okay? And the vision is to uh, also associate this with CME credits and CE credits eventually. And, uh, yeah, it'll be at a certificate level and then hopefully that master's level in the near future. So thank you for your attention. This was a long two hours, and, and I hope that you found it useful. So thank you. Thank you.